Men? So then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? Yes, we did. Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. <laughs> there isn't? Absolutely not. I mean, what are you thinking about, Jerry? Marriage? Family? Well, they're prisons. <laughs> Man-made prisons. You're doing time. You get up in the morning, she's there. You go to sleep at night, she's there. It's like you gotta ask permission to, to, to use the bathroom. Is it all right if I use the bathroom? <laughs> yeah, and you can forget about watching TV while you're eating. I can? Oh, yeah. You know what? Because it's dinner time. And you know what you do at dinner? What? You talk about your day. How was your day today? Did you have a good day today or a bad day today? Well, what kind of day was it? Well, I don't know. How about you? How was your day? Oh, it's sad, Jerry. It's a sad state of affairs. I'm glad we had this talk. Oh, you have no idea. That is a hilarious clip. Uh, but, man, I, I sure hope you understand that that does not paint an accurate biblical view of what marriage is designed to be. Marriage was intended by God to be a physical, emotional, and spiritual joining of a man and a woman. Marriage provides the opportunity to grow in selflessness as a husband and wife serve one another and focus on the other's needs over their own. Marriage was also designed by God to be a beautiful, beautiful picture of the relationship that Jesus Christ has with the church. Now clearly, there are absolutely no perfect marriages because there are no perfect people. But far too often, we underestimate and undervalue marriage. Do you ever think about the fact that marriage was the very first institution given by God to humans. Marriage came before parenthood. Marriage came before schools, before any form of government. And marriage actually as an institution came before the church. And while the Bible makes it clear that it's good for some to choose singleness and to remain single, marriage is the foundational building block upon which God built society. In many ways, the strength of our culture is dependent upon marriage. So protecting and thinking about the sanctity of marriage in our society is incredibly, incredibly important. Now, as I said at the beginning, the, the, the big idea for this entire theme in this first Peter series that we've been on is that our lives need to be lived differently. Jesus Christ transforms us from the inside out, and therefore, we live in a different way than people in our society, hopefully in a way that makes a difference and an impact for Jesus. The big idea this morning is that if you're here and you're married, we need to live different in marriage. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. You can swipe there on your phone. Uh, it will be up on the screen, but as we say often, it's always a good thing to have a copy of the, the Bible in front of you so you can make some notes or highlight, underline if you choose to do so. This morning, we're only going to cover seven verses, but they are packed full of information. 
We won't have time to unpack everything, but there's something here for everyone, whether you're single or whether you're married. So let me remind you again that during this First Peter series, we've been looking at the book of First Peter that is actually a letter written by Peter, who was one of the early church leaders. And he has written this letter to the church that scattered at this point. They had been persecuted, and so they'd left and they'd flee to various areas. In this map, you can kind of see this section of the broad section, uh, a region that this letter goes to. So keep in mind that as we cover these seven verses this morning, this was not a, a section of Scripture intended to be a standalone message to married couples. He uses marriage as an illustration. It's an ongoing part. It's connected to the last several weeks, especially to last week's uh, message that we have been uh, over. So instead, Peter is using this as yet another illustration of his overall theme that the way we live and the way that we interact with one another has a huge statement to make to the watching world. In fact, in chapter 2, Peter told his readers that when they submit to the authority of government, people notice. He continued by giving an example of slaves or really indentured servants that when they submit to their authority, to the authorities over them, people notice. And then Peter last week uh, in chapter 2 kind of summarized his point in chapter 2 verses 13 through 15. Take a look at what Peter says. He writes, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, that's key, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who were sent by him to punish those who do wrong or commend those who do right. For it is God's will, God's desire, God's plan that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So in short, when a man or a woman or a boy, or a girl, when they live in a, with a soft heart towards the authority that God has placed upon them, the world takes notice of that. Someone can argue about whether the Bible is true or whether it's not or some other fine point of theology, but when they see your transformed life, the beauty of Jesus Christ living out in your life, it's impossible for them to argue with that. So with that said, let's get started and jump into 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Peter describes what it looks like to live different in marriage. Peter writes, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner life, your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Verse 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate 
as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and heirs with you of the glorious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So Peter gives some wise advice to both wives and to husbands. He starts by saying in verses 1 and 2, Wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over, and this is key, without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your life. Peter says, in the same way, submit yourselves to your, to your own husbands. That phrase, in the same way, is what ties this teaching in chapter 3 with the continuation of the teaching in chapter 2. In general, as people, we know this about ourselves, that, that, that we like to be in control. We like to have the power in a situation or a relationship. We would rather in our natural selves be served than to serve others. That was true in Peter's day, and it's also true today. A submissive spirit was and is countercultural. The Bible says that being focused, uh, being humbled, uh, submitting to others, and thinking about their needs other, over ours silences the ignorant talk of other people. So in verse 1 of chapter 3, it's, again, a continuation of chapter 2. Peter illustrates what it looks like to submit for the Lord's sake. See, God in his wisdom set up authority structures in our lives and for our benefit. He set up the government to give shape to our civic lives. He set up himself, Christ, as the head of the church. And in the family... God calls the husband to be a loving servant leader. This wasn't Peter's idea. It was actually God's idea. Peter says to wives essentially this, trust and follow your husband's loving and servant leadership. And so this leads us to the first piece of advice that I think we can glean from these uh, verses. First of all, what a woman does can be far more influential on her husband than her words. Now, it's no secret that in general, women use more words and are better at using words to communicate than men. Uh, perhaps you're familiar with pretty common research that says in an average day, a woman uses 20,000 words and a man uses 7,000 words. So you ladies, you do not need to be uh, apologetic for the fact that you like to talk about your day at dinner, okay? That's just the way God made you. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Many women, however, because they're, they're wired to process things verbally, while, while there's no problem with that, there are times where there can be a tendency I'm not talking about anyone in here, of course, but there can be a tendency to over-rely on your words to get things done or to make things happen in your marriage. Now, ladies, if you didn't pick up on what I was trying to gently imply, it's this. Be careful. And again, I'm not talking to any wives in here, but to your friends and your sisters. Be careful not to use your words to attempt to manipulate 
or control your husband. When you do, you may have noticed that, that husbands, this one included, have a tendency to kind of dig in and get stubborn. And, and that doesn't do any good. You end up in just kind of a negative downward spiral. Peter makes the point that a wife's actions can be both attractive and highly, highly influential. Look again. It says, wives in the same way submit yourself to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your life. In short, Peter says that a wife's godly character on display will do far more to motivate her husband than her words. It's likely that some of the women that are receiving this teaching for the first time had come to know and to follow Jesus before some of their husbands had. So Peter says, if you want to influence your husband to follow Jesus, to give his life to Jesus, don't try to nag him or drag him with your words into the kingdom. Instead, win him over by living a life centered on the goodness of Jesus Christ. Let the fruit of the Holy Spirit, your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and faithfulness, your gentleness and self-control, let, let Christ living his life out in you demonstrate the power of God to transform a human life. Now, I realized this morning that, that there are some of you that are here that are very familiar with this concept of God calling a wife within the context of her home to submit to her husband. Others of you, this may be a brand new thing. But what I do want to make sure I point out is that there's a lot of really bad theology related to this text and a couple of others that are, that are like it. There are people, there are men who have tried to use verses like this to essentially dominate and control their wives. Let me be absolutely clear. Biblical submission is not about male domination. The Bible makes it clear that men and women are equal before God. For the sake of clarity, let me just tell you about how submission has worked in my marriage with Lynn for almost the past uh, 30 years. I can honestly tell you, and you can ask her after the service if you'd like, I don't remember a single time in our almost 30 years of being married where I ever sat Lynn down and took a verse like this to her and, and kind of played it with like a submission card to her and say, you know, we need to do it my way because thus the Lord says. Uh, how, the, how it works is that there are times where we have disagreements. We're wired differently. We have different expertise and, and experiences. And on an issue where we're kind of having a hard time to find unity in a decision, there are times where she has voluntarily submitted to, to my way and we've, we've done it my way. Now, that's not at all to say that, that it doesn't work the opposite way, that when we still can't make a decision that I don't voluntarily yield and say, hey, let's, let's do it this way and see, see how that goes. Uh, it's a back and forth being concerned and, and loving towards one another. It's not some kind of a dominating kind of a deal. However, I do want you to be very, very clear that what the, the scriptures clearly, clearly teach, when a husband and a wife find themselves in that position where there's a decision to be made and they're on kind of two opposite ends of that decision, 
I think there's a lot of wisdom at that point to, to, to pray and see if the Holy Spirit changes one or, or both hearts. Uh, there's some wisdom in seeking godly counsel in a point like that. Uh, but if you've done all of those things and you still can't make a decision, at that point in time, God gives the husband the responsibility. It's really not a privilege. It's a responsibility to make a final decision. Now, even in those cases, that doesn't mean that the husband should always go with his thinking in all of those decisions. It means he's got to be the one to decide, are we going to go this direction or are we going to go this direction? So to be sure, telling wives to be submissive and responsive to their loving husbands is a pretty countercultural thing back in Peter's day, and it is today as well. However, what Peter says next may actually, ladies, be more countercultural than what you just heard. Take another look at verse 3. He's speaking to wives here, but this applies to every woman in this room this morning. Peter says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Now, ladies, I can hear some of you what you're thinking. You said, you just told me to submit to my husband, and now you're telling me that I can't wear jewelry or that I've got to put that new outfit that I just bought away. And before you go with that line of thought, hold on a minute. First of all, I didn't make this stuff up. God did, number one. You don't have an argument with me. But secondly, I do not at all believe that Peter is saying to get rid of your jewelry. Peter is not saying that you have to take your, your new outfit back. So what is Peter saying here? Peter is simply making the point that the internal beauty of a woman is far more important than her external beauty. Yeah, you can amen that. Peter, Peter's not saying that it's sinful uh, for a woman to take care of herself, that it's sinful for a woman to want to look her best, get your hair cut and go ahead and get it colored if you want, uh, wear that jewelry, enjoy the clothes that you have. There are people and there are churches that, again, have taught that it's sinful to do these things. And when they do, I think they really, really miss the point. And the point Peter is making is very important, even though it's lost on our society in many ways. Ladies, married, single, young, or old, um, Peter points out that God is way, way more concerned about your internal beauty than your external beauty. There's nothing wrong with looking good on the outside, but, but your top priority should be your heart. Listen to Proverbs 31. This is, this is a beautiful truth from Scripture. It says, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Peter continues in verse 4 by stating that there is a better, unfading beauty that's way more important. Peter writes, your beauty should not come from the outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. 
Ladies, I don't have to tell you that outward beauty fades over time. Uh, the fact that's a, a fact of life. In, enjoy your outward physical beauty to whatever degree you can and want to, but focus more on your inner beauty that lasts a lifetime. And did you catch that? And is of great worth in God's sight. Let me let you ladies in on a little secret as well. Inner beauty is also of great worth to men in our society today. Lynn was 22 years old when we met, and it would be dishonest for me to tell you that I didn't notice her outward beauty because I did. But after almost 30 years of marriage, she is still attractive and even more so because of the inner beauty of her life. Uh, and so it's of great, great value to men even today. And ladies, it is really hard. Men, we need to remember this and hear this. It is really, really hard for a woman to feel adequate when it comes to her, her physical beauty because we, we have uh, magazines and all kinds of things that have uh, really almost anorexic women in, in a picture and then after they take the picture, they airbrush and they, they, they put perfection on them and then put them out for us to see. Most of those women that are even in those pictures do not feel attractive Ladies, focus on your inner beauty and hear this. If you have a daughter, be very, very careful what you may inadvertently communicate about the importance of physical beauty versus inner beauty. Raise your daughters to know the truth that what's on the inside of them is way more important than what's on the outside. One final piece of advice to wives and then we'll get to the men here. A wife's trust in her husband is a powerful, powerful contribution to his life. And, and to make this point, Peter uses Abraham's wife, Sarah, as an illustration. Abraham was considered the kind of the father of the Jewish nation. He was the patriarch of patriarchs in the Old Testament. And I'm aware that, that for some of you, you don't even know who Abraham and Sarah are, and, and that's certainly okay. I, I apologize, we don't have the time to really give you a lot of information on them, but here's the Cliff Notes version. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, we read that God told Abraham to basically just get up and leave and go to the land that he would show him. And so God speaks to Abraham and tells him that he's going to make him into a great nation. We're told that at that point, Abraham was obedient. He packed up and he headed out, not even knowing where God would take him. And here's the relevant connect for us this morning. Sarah trusted Abraham enough to go with him on that journey. She didn't know where Abraham was going. She didn't know what the trip would be like. She didn't know if they would ever return, but she trusted Abraham enough that when he said, this is what God told me to do, she herself started packing. I'm sure she had questions and concerns. I'm sure it might have not been her first choice to go on that, that journey, uh, certainly, but she trusted her husband and she went on the journey and it was a journey that would profoundly change their lives and the lives of countless other people in the future. Genesis records a number of times when Sarah put her trust in Abraham by doing what he asked of her, even though he was far, far from a perfect man. 
Genesis 18.12 records where uh, Sarah actually referred to Abraham as her master. Now, now, husbands that are here today, a little tip for you. I wouldn't suggest that on your way home from church tonight or today that you suggest that maybe your wife start to refer to, to you as her master. That's not, not the point. What Sarah was saying was that she trusted Abraham with her life. She trusted that he had her best interest in mind. She trusted that God would use her and her husband to lead, encourage, and provide, and protect. Ladies, for sure, husbands are not perfect. Husbands, uh, including this one, will do some things that, to be honest, are just plain stupid. Uh, I can't tell you how many times uh, in our marriage that I've regretted some of the decisions that I've made. Husbands are capable of, of making boneheaded decisions at times. And, and, and that's why husbands need to re require to, to depend on their wife's advice and their wife's uh, support and encouragement. So ladies, don't hold that back. Peter's not telling wives to shut off their mind or their voice. Again, I can't tell you how many times I've been thankful that Lynn has lovingly but firmly pushed into some of the decisions that, that I may have made. In the ideal marriage, a wife will choose to trust her husband's leadership because she ultimately puts her trust in God. Ladies, I want to tell you uh, something about most men as we kind of wrap up the advice to you. Uh, I think I can speak with some amount of authority uh, having been a husband myself for a number of years and, and spoken to and worked with a lot, a lot of husbands, I can say with almost 100% certainty that unless you have a real creep on your hands, your husband desires to please you. There are times when a husband really doesn't know how to do that well, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't want to. Telling your husbands that you trust in him through your words, and more importantly, through your actions, will do more to motivate and encourage him than you could ever imagine. Now, I'm speaking in general terms with what I'm about to say. I'm aware that there are some pretty broken marriage situations that this won't apply. However, when a woman fears that her husband isn't trustworthy and, and takes control of running the marriage and running the family into her own hands, it's almost always a recipe for disaster. Instead of doing that, even with a flawed husband, praise him when he gets something right. Nothing makes a healthy man feel better than knowing that he has the power to bless his wife and his family. And again, I am certainly aware that, that all husbands at times make it difficult for wives to do that, to, to rely on them. Uh, husbands can make rash and, and selfish decisions at times and treat their wives with far less respect and love than they deserve. Peter says, follow Sarah's example and do not give way to fear. I have personally seen up close the incredible, incredible power of a wife to be able to, to help her husband change into the person that God called him to be. So as we wrap up Peter's advice to wives, let me also be clear. Peter is not at all addressing the issue of abuse in a relationship. There is not a place in the Bible where God would ever tell a wife that she should be in an abusive situation, verbally, sexually, physically, emotionally. 
If you find yourself ever in an abusive situation, reach out and get help. So let's look at some wise advice as we wrap up the husbands here. Take another quick look at the first part of verse 7. Peter says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Uh, Again, there's so much this single verse could actually say. but, But first of all, it says, Husbands, know your wife well. The phrase, be considerate as you live with your wives, literally means live with your wife with knowledge or understanding. You know, as men, we, we tend to joke about the fact that it's impossible to, to understand women in general. And guys, here's the good thing. We don't have to understand women in general. We just need to understand one woman specifically, our, our wives. And if you ask husbands here today, do you know your wife? The typical response is, well, of course I know my wife. We were engaged for a couple of years. We dated before that. We've been married for 20 years. I know my wife. But husband, my my challenge to you today is, do you really know her? Do you know what your wife's thoughts are? Do you know what her dreams are? Do you know what some of the fears that are in her heart are? Do you know how she specifically feels about herself? Husbands, if you want to get to know your wives well, become a student of your wife. Spend some time physically with her talking about herself and about life. And that, again, maybe something that for some of us is kind of a, a struggle. Uh, some of us as men can excel at watching TV or working on a project in the garage or being on the golf course, but we don't excel at talking and getting to know our wives. And I just want you to know, guys, if this is a struggle for you, there are actually some very simple resources. They make little booklets, and this may sound silly, that are conversational starters for couples. All you do is read the question and then look into your wife's eyes and listen to her as she responds and learns. Verse 7 continues, and it says, And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. So here's some more advice to husbands. Husbands, treat your wife with respect. That means be courteous and kind and and simply honor her. Now, now don't get tripped up, anyone, men or females, about the weaker partner language. Uh, We're all weak. We're all broken. We're all sinful. Peter is not saying here that men are superior to their wives intellectually, morally, or spiritually. My wife is far superior to me in all of those categories because I made the wise decision to marry up when I married. And as I look around, most of you men did as well. That's a a good thing. That's to be praised. Again, Peter probably had in mind the fact that a woman in, in 60 AD had no legal rights. She was very vulnerable in that culture. The point is this, a husband is to show deep respect and honor to his wife. Men, I hope you don't do this, but never, ever, ever verbally tear your wife down. Don't do it in private and certainly don't do it in front of her as well. Instead, build her life up with your words. Uh, Husbands, make it your goal to treat your wife in such a way 
that she actually flourishes and, and thrives and, and blossoms under the loving, caring, sensitive leadership that you provide. Use your words to, to build up and encourage her. Use your actions to lighten her load. Men, many of us need to know and realize that it will never kill a man to do dishes or to do laundry or to pick up after children. That, that isn't going to kill anybody. Men, loving your wife might involve accepting her for who she is. Peter says she is not below you. She is your co-heir in Jesus Christ. In the life of Jesus Christ before God, you are equals. Uh, she has been created by God to be your equal, but she's also been created to be very different than you are. Give her re a freedom to be the person that God created her to be. I'm wrapping up here, but in, in Ephesians 5.28, the Apostle Paul says, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. In a time and in a culture where women were devalued, the Bible brings great dignity, worthy dignity to a woman and breaks down the barriers of that day. To love and respect your wife means to be willing to sacrifice for her, to do whatever is needed to treat her as the precious an immensely valued person that she is because that's how Christ treated the church. The church, you and I, are so highly valued that the Lord was willing to be mocked, beaten, and spit upon, and eventually crucified. The church is so precious and valued that Jesus was willing to endure the wrath of God to pay the penalty for our sins. That's how precious we are as the church to Jesus. Husbands, our wives ought to feel precious to us. They ought to feel loved and valued and protected and served. She ought to know that we would give up anything for her. She should know that we would do anything for her. The people around you should know that as well. By the way that we treat our wives and talk to our wives, uh, our children, our friends, and our neighbors ought to know how treasured our wife is to us. Quickly, let me give you the final thought in verse 7. I don't know if you catch it at the very end of, of the verse. Uh, it says, treat your wife with the utmost respect. Know your wife so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, husbands, I don't know how treating our wives or, or, with a con or not treating our wives with consideration and respect, I don't know exactly how that uh, impacts our prayers or impacts our relationship with Jesus, uh, but when our married life is strained, it definitely impacts our relationship with God. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, we read where Jesus taught that if you're, you're at the temple and you're going to bring an offering in an act of worship, and you remember that there's somebody that you have wronged and you haven't made it right. There's a relational disconnect that's your responsibility that you should leave your offering and first go and make that right. And I think that this is basically, again, letting us know that brokenness in the marriage relationship with our wife is a big deal and it absolutely needs to be addressed. 
Man, I know we've gone a while and there's so much more I could say, but let me wrap up this way this morning. As we look at the way that Peter describes marriage, it's really easy to feel a little bit overwhelmed if you're married here today. It's easy to feel and see how you've fallen short. Clearly, we all fall short of of what we just talked about in the model that Peter gives us. Developing a, a marriage that resembles what Peter describes takes a lot of work and it takes intentionality. But with God's help, it is possible. Peter wanted the early church and he wants us to know that doing marriage God's way gets noticed. So my my application challenge to to anyone here that's married is this. Leave your spouse to the Lord. Don't focus on ways that you think your spouse needs to change, but spend some time before the Lord seriously asking the question, Lord, what would you have me do differently so that I might love and honor and serve my spouse more and more each and every day? The only way we can do this ultimately is if we look to Jesus to have our needs met so that we have something to offer to our spouses. Again, this is nothing we can manufacture on our own. We require God's help. So let me close and let me pray for us and then we'll send you out for the day. Father God, we thank you for the joy and the privilege that it's been to be here this morning. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the many good gifts that you give us. And, and Lord, we acknowledge that, that marriage in general, whether we're married or whether we're not, or whether our marriage has gone well or whether it hasn't, no matter what our personal experience with it is, in general, we know that you created marriage and that it's good. It's, it's, uh, it's for our own benefit. And, and Lord, um, we acknowledge before you that we're not perfect. Um, some of us maybe need to acknowledge that more often to our, to our own spouses, but, but Lord, we do desire to live in such a way to, to honor you and to, to, to live differently in our marriages for those who are married so that uh, it points to your goodness and the, the transformative power that is available through you. Lord, I would pray for, for anyone here this morning that has uh, got a lot of grief and sadness in their life related to marriage. Uh, maybe they've lost a, a loving spouse uh, maybe they've experienced the pain of abuse or, or neglect or, or um, the, the, the ripping and the tearing of divorce, Lord. I pray that none of us would leave here feeling guilt or shame or anything like that, Lord. But, but may we leave here motivated to do everything we can to do to, to make our lives different in marriage. To your honor and to your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good to, to see you. I hope none of you have short so, sure, sore ribs for when maybe a spouse uh, elbowed you, all right? Have a good day.